testing. One, two. All right, good morning. Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone. Blessing to see all y'all here. I know we have many who are out on vacation, traveling this time of year. So uh, the Birchfields are gone on vacation, so do be in prayer for them uh, as they travel in, in Florida, dealing with uh, stormy weather, at least I know it was last night. Um, so but do be in, in prayer for them. All right, a few quick announcements as we get started this morning. Um, on the 27th, that's the very last uh, Sunday of the month, uh, ladies, y'all have your um, have your monthly meeting in here. We'll be covering chapter seven um, in the, in the book you're going through on benevolence. So that'll be 6:30 here at the church building um, on the Sunday, the 27th. Um, also, we've we've done this in the past, with the exception of last year, just because COVID threw a wrench in all things. Um, but we're trying to get back into our regular schedule. Um, but in the month of July, we're going to take a break for missional communities. Okay, if you recall, so you know, years ago, our pattern has been. We take a break for one month in the summer, and then the month of December, we take a break for our MCs, okay? So um, MCs won't meet formally during the month of July, um, but take that opportunity. If you're still home, you're still going through your natural rhythm of life, take that opportunity for that evening to get together with somebody in the church, uh, invite a family over to your house, go out to dinner, whether that's outside, inside, go play Frisbee golf, you know, with some people. Yes, Jamie will take that group right there. Um, you know, or people who are in your work, people whom the Lord has put in your, in your life that you can minister to, that you can speak to, um, you know, get together with them. So take that opportunity to continue to fellowship and outreach. Um, but we won't be meeting formally for the month of, uh, of July. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, let's see. Uh, also, the Renewal Wade Hampton program, that's the, uh, that's the program for the, uh, for the ladies that uh, we're doing through Miracle Hill Ministry. Um, Natalie has set up a group that's going to be doing uh, meal preparation for the ladies that are coming into, um, into them. It'll be Tuesdays, Tuesdays from 11 to 12.30, somewhere around in there. So if you're interested in being a part of that, see Natalie. Um, it, for those that have already volunteered, thank you so much for participating in this just wonderful ministry to minister uh, to these ladies, have them have an opportunity to see Christ displayed and also hear the gospel as well. Um, Natalie, anything else I need to say? Yes, starting, starting this Tuesday. Okay. All right. Um, and I think think so uh just parents be aware there was a group of folks that was doing something out here near the pavilion area earlier looks like they've kind of packed things up i don't know that they'll be back but if there is a group out there doing something at the pavilion let's just keep the children away from that area at the close of the service okay we just want to be honorable and respectful for people who use that common area um you know as as we're kind of moving about all right i think that that's it anybody else have any announcements that i missed So you're talking about two two missional communities get together, have a dinner, and the the boyers. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that. Logistically, mm -hmm. I don't know what that looks like yet. Okay. Sure. Well, I know as y'all are in contact with them, just, you know, keep us updated on it and, you know, we'll throw a date on the calendar and say, hey, here's this, when this is going to happen, you know, and if it doesn't work to pair up, you know, like that or something, we can just say, hey, here's one evening or something, anybody who can make it come, you know, but that would be great. That'd be great. For anybody who doesn't know the Boyers, they're the missionaries we support who are in, uh, in Ireland. Okay. And they're home currently right now. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. All right. Our call to worship this morning comes from Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 25. Here's the gospel in a nutshell. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. Through faith, This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. Let's pray. Fathers, we gather this morning, we gather to celebrate the gift of redemption through Christ Jesus. We don't come this morning boasting in our own worth. We don't come dressed up in front of you to try and parade and make you impressed. We come broken. We come needy. And we come asking, Father, that you would pour the water of eternal life on us through Christ. That you would peel back the curtain that we might see Jesus, high and lifted up. He might become more of a treasure to, for us today than he was yesterday. He might become more of a treasure tomorrow than he was today. And that we would cling tightly to the promises that you have given to us, Father. That we would be a people of faith who walk by faith and receive life from you by faith. So, Father, be with us as we worship you this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.
The kids would come up for a children's moment. All right, come on down. Good to see everybody. How's everybody doing? Are you having a good summer so far? No. <laughs> we're good, we're good. All right, well, we've been talking about uh, or do you remember a while back we talked about the two things, the two ways that sin, oh, there I am. Hello. <laughs> the two ways that sin hurts us, okay? It's got kind of two powers. Or it's, it's the, the penalty of sin and the power of sin. That's the way that sin harms us, okay? And last week, Mr. Nathan talked about how God has overcome the first of those, the penalty of sin. Now, help me out. Somebody tell me, what is a penalty? What's a penalty mean? Anybody? Okay, let's see. What's, uh, let's see. If you, if you were to, if you were to steal something from your sibling, 
Okay, would you get in trouble? Yes. yes. Okay. All right. And you might there might be a punishment, right? There might be a timeout. Okay. There may be a spanking. There may be you know you don't get to watch TV for an hour or two. Okay. There would be a there would be a penalty for it. Okay. There'd be a punishment. There's a consequence for doing wrong. Okay. All right. And sin. Help me out with this. What is sin? Can somebody tell me what sin is? Okay, when you do something wrong, somebody else kind of build on that. What? Go, go for it. Yep. When you lied, tell me again. Okay, you can't watch something on the phone. Okay, all right. Okay, so there's a penalty for that. Okay, that's very good. Go ahead. Okay, anything that upsets God. Okay, so doing something wrong, and we classify wrong as being something that upsets God. Okay, what else? Somebody else have something? Okay, that's not good, right? And we, we classify good. What we mean by good is something that is in, in opposition to God. Okay, it disobeys God. Okay, how many of you ever thrown a dart at a target or maybe seen somebody shoot an arrow at a target, right? Okay, you know, you know what that is? Shoot an arrow at the target, okay? Sin means missing the mark, okay? So God says, here's what I've created for you. Here's how I want you to be. Here's what I want your life to look like because I've made you and I've made you in my image, okay? And when we sin, we miss that mark, okay? All right, and that displeases God, okay? That's, that's, in, that's against what he set up for us, okay? And so the penalty for that, there's a penalty for that. And Scripture says that's a big penalty. So Paul wrote and said that the wages of sin is death, okay? A separation from God and all of his goodness, okay? And a suffering for that, all right? Now, Mr. Nathan talked last week about how God overcomes that penalty, okay? He overcomes that penalty by sending Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of those who believe in him. Okay, and Jesus becomes our substitute, and we're clothed in his righteousness, okay? How many of you have ever had a substitute at school or maybe in daycare or something? What's a, what's a substitute? Somebody tell me what a substitute is. Go ahead, Naomi. Um, like if your teacher is bad, then gone. That's right. Your teacher's gone, and so, the, you know, so another teacher comes in and replaces them, okay? So the substitute takes the place of the teacher, Right? Okay, so here's what Jesus did on the cross. Just in a nutshell, to recap what Mr. Nathan talked about last week, okay? Jesus is our substitute. Instead of taking our penalty, if we have faith in him, the, instead of us taking the penalty, Jesus took the penalty. He took the penalty for our sin. And so for those who have faith in Christ and put our trust in him, see, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and, he, and I'm clothed in his righteousness, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus' righteousness. And our sin is, as the Bible says, cast as far as the east is from the west. Okay? Any of you ever read the book, your parents read the book, uh, The Priest with Dirty Clothes? It's a good book. That's a good book. Okay, if you haven't read it, get that for your daddy for Father's Day. It's a great Father's Day present and let him read it to you. Okay, it's a great book. But it's a very good illustration of what that looks like for Jesus to be our substitute and justify us. Okay? So I'm not going to spend any more time on that because that's what Mr. Nathan covered last week is how, how Jesus uh, takes away the penalty of sin. But this morning, I want to talk about how Jesus or what God does to remove the power of sin. Okay? How God removes the power of sin. And we could say that the big church word here is sanctification. Okay? Everybody say it with me. 
Sanctification. Sanctification. Okay. Use that this next week somehow. Okay. Sanctification. That's a big word that simply means being set apart by God. And he does so by dealing with the power of sin in our life. Okay. He does so by dealing with the power of sin in our life. And this isn't something that just happens like this. Boom. Okay. It happens throughout your life as you trust God continually. He continues to deal with this. It's a process that goes all the way throughout your life. Okay, now there's two ways that God that God removes the power of sin in our life. Okay, the first one we could call we could say this is the position. Okay, he removes the position of sin in our life. Okay, Paul wrote to the Colossians and he said this. He said, <clears throat> "Here we go." Yep. So that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption through the forgiveness. Of our sins. Okay, so do you hear what, guys, listen to me, okay? Do you hear what, what Paul said? God has removed our position and put us in Christ. We're no longer slaves to sin and slaves to Satan, okay? Doing the things that please only ourselves and for our own glory, but we're now in Christ. We have a new allegiance, we have a new position. Now, I want to know how many of you grew up in South Carolina? How many of you were born in South Carolina? Who was born in South Carolina, okay? Who was born in a different state? What state were you born in? I forgot. I don't, I'm not familiar with that state. but State of Mississippi. <laughs> Very good. What, where, where were you born? Mississippi, okay. Virginia, okay. Georgia, okay. All right, so you think of it. You were born there, but then you moved. And when you moved, you moved entirely, right? You're no longer in... Virginia, you're no longer in Mississippi, no longer in the state of confusion, hopefully. <laughs> no, you're no longer there. You're no longer in Georgia. You have a new position, okay? The same is true when we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, is that God gives us a new position, okay? We're, we're in Christ, so it's a new position. We have a new allegiance, okay? Your life is, is, is different in South Carolina that it would be in a different state. Okay, so the same is true when you have faith in Christ, your life is different because you have a new position. Okay? All right. And this has d a different effects for us, okay? Because the Bible talks about this position and what it means for us. It means that in Christ our body's a temple. Okay? It's the it's the housing place of the Holy Spirit whom God gives for us. And so we treat our bodies and we care for them with honor and respect because that's the place that God has given us. We're creating God's image. He's given us that, that body and we're to respect it and take care of it. Okay? That Christ has died and been, uh, uh, that, that we've died with Christ. We've been raised. We have a new relationship with God. We have a new relationship with sin. Okay? All right? And the other thing, we'll call this the progressive uh, way that God removes, uh, uh, removes the power of sin from us. Okay? So there's one way, it's position. We have a new position. We're in Christ now. We have a new allegiance, okay? A new king, if you want to think, think of it that way. We've moved from one kingdom to another, okay? Then the other one is progressive sanctification, okay? Th this is the way that God makes us more like Jesus, okay? And he does this through reading the Bible, having the Bible read to you. You get to know more about who God is and his promises and how gracious and wonderful God is, both in his mercy and in his justice and all of his attributes. You hear more about his promises to you that you can trust in, okay? 
hard to trust in promises that you don't know about, right? You can't really trust in them because you don't know. Okay, so God does this through reading the Bible, through hearing it, through faithful preaching of the word. Okay, he does that through there. He does that through prayer, prayer with him. He does that through fellowship with other believers. As we gather together and we fellowship with one another and we encourage one another, okay, we hold each other accountable. All right, we do all of these things. So all of these, way, uh, all of these tools, if you will, these are all tools that God uses to make us more like Jesus, okay? So sanctification, big word, okay? It means God separating us, okay? Setting us apart for His glory, for His holiness, okay? And in doing so, He deals with the power of sin in our life. Two ways. One, positionally, we're in a new position, a new kingdom, a new allegiance to Jesus, okay? Not to anything else. And then that progressive way of making us more like Jesus, okay? By dealing with the power of sin in our life through Scripture, through the preached Word, through prayer, and through fellowship with other believers, okay? I know that's a lot. I know that's a lot, okay? But I hope that's helpful in you understanding just a little bit more. What does it mean to follow Jesus? All right. Well, thank you guys this morning. Okay, did you have a question? Okay. All right. Well, let me pray for us, and then you guys can be dismissed, okay? Anybody who's three and four, I get those ages right this time, three and four. Three and four, you guys will go with uh, Miss Natalie and Mr. Joey, okay? And you. <laughs> All right. Well, let me pray for us, okay? Father God, Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that, you've, that you love us enough to not leave us where we are in our sin, but to make us more like Jesus. Thank you, Father. I pray for these young minds this morning. And Lord, they might look upon your word. Father, whether that's in a picture Bible, whether that's in a simple storybook Bible, or whether that's, you know, parents or teachers, someone reading the scriptures to them, Father. Lord, may they see Jesus in your word. May they treasure him. May they desire to be more like him. Would you deal with the power of sin in all of our lives? Lord, as we are given a new position, and Father, as you progressively make us more like Jesus. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. All right. You guys can be dismissed. Thank you. If you guys would just stand with us for two more songs.
forgot what I was going to say before I came up here. <laughs> but um, I'm just, uh, as a lot of people don't know, I'm a part of uh, me and um, Natalie. Um, we're a part of the, um, the missions team. Um, if anyone is interested in just um, talking with us, um, you're more than welcome to come and talk to us just to let you know what God is doing through a lot of these great opportunities that we have um, as a church. Um, a lot of people know about the adopter room um, that a lot of our MCs are being involved in at different times. Uh, if you're interested, I'm sure um, even if you're not even a part of an MC group, you can shadow somebody to go there and be a part of that. Um, before I pray for all of our um, other um, missionaries that are um, Ireland, Bangladesh, China, and South Africa, right? Um, before I pray for them, I just want to remind us that um, even when we think about all these different opportunities that we have as a church and to be involved, sometimes we, we get lost in thinking, what if, what is mission? I think sometimes we narrow mission down to simply as an activity of the church, but we don't see as mission being a part of, um, founded in one of God's attributes. Um, and and I, I think I better see that through um, one of my favorite verses is Second um, Corinthians chapter 5. Um, and, and, it, and it tells us God's, um, his, the, the ministry of reconciliation, of how God was in Christ, um, not counting the trespasses, but wanting the world to be reconciled to himself. And, and as us as ambassadors of Christ, we have the same ministry. And, um, and I just want to talk, um, before I pray, I want to talk about the opportunity me and my wife had this past Friday. Um, um, we're we're a little we're we're more better of keeping people in touch of a lot of the um, the things that we're involved in, like um, some of the conversations that we have with people. But through the app, it's been a little it's been a little difficult trying to work the app. Um, but we actually were um, at the park in Greer Friday. Usually we go downtown, um, but we didn't. We went to the park, um, and we seen two Mormons from afar, and. Um, it's kind of hard to miss a Mormon. You can see him, spot him from a mile away because uh, the, the white shirts and name tags. But um, but it's it's not just we um, thought about a Mormon because a Mormon is no different than a, a lost unbeliever. But um, as we seen them, you know, I was praying in my head, um, and they were kind of walking our way, and they disappeared, and I was, I was wanting to have a conversation with them, you know. And as we were about to leave, we seen them sitting right there on the steps, and I was like, so we, we walked by, and um, you know, I just started having a conversation with them, just asking them um, spiritual questions. And um, I kind of did the Ray Comfort approach to them. I was like, hey, if I had two minutes to live, 
what would you say to me? And they were pretty stumped at that question. Um, even though they were on mission, they, they're, they're, you know, they're traveling millions of thousands of miles away from their home to go on mission, to be on mission. But and yet he couldn't even tell me any type of good news, any type of hope within those two minutes. He basically was saying, well, in the afterworld, maybe you'll have hope if somebody um, pleads your case or can pray for you. And there was essentially no hope. And I told him, you know, if I had two minutes and I, and I gave him the message of, of reconciliation, I told him how he can be reconciled to God. And this is the hope that we give to people. It is, it is not that I'm better than him. But this is the very good news and message that we have. And, and through these organizations that we have, even though they're good things that we're doing for people, going to the abortion clinic, seeing people save their babies, these are good things. But the best news that we can give people is how they can be reconciled to a holy God. And um, I just want us to, to just to think about who God is and who we are and think about God's mission in light of that. Um, because if, if we're not rooting while we're on mission, founded in, in who God is. Simply, we'll be simply loving the mission and not loving God. And there's a lot of churches that are doing that. They're simply doing a lot of good things. I had an uh, organization that, that calls my phone regularly um, called uh, CARE, you know, and they'll, they'll, they'll want me to donate money so they can feed people. And I, I simply tell them, I was like, hey, you know, even though those are good things, you're not telling people how they can be saved, you know, and that's what we have. And this, this is what we focus on as a church, as a body, and as our leaders are, are building us up. Um, and they're faithful in, in showing us how we can be instrumental in, in just not doing a lot of these good things, but um, just to be focused on the gospel. And I just want us to think about that um, as we pray for people who have been obedient to the call of Christ, who actually left their homes to being in foreign lands, um, being in Ireland. I couldn't, I couldn't know what it would feel like to be just separated from our body and our family here. And, and sometimes we don't think about what they're going through, the darkness, because they don't have family like how we have family and how we're, you know, just just, um, just a gift. Uh, and just want us to think about that as we pray. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the very message of reconciliation that um, you are making up an appeal through Christ, that we might be reconciled, that you restored us, that you redeemed us through the cross. And this is the very good news that we have. We don't have just a hope like a hope of the world, but we have a living hope because Jesus Christ, you are alive. You are Lord. And if you are our Lord, then we must be obedient because we love you. And I just want us to think about those who have been faithful to the call of the gospel in our life, who are in all these different places, Lord, that they are taking your gospel to a broken, hurt, and dying world. It's only good news when we bring them this news in the time that you have given us. It is not simply that we wait to bring people to church. It is not that we wait to tell them, but, Lord, we are making an appeal to people because people are dying every single day, Lord, and we just pray that you stir our hearts to your word that we might be faithful to you. I pray as Austin comes here to teach us that we might not simply just hear this as, as we come every Sunday in and out, but that we apply your words to our lives, just as James tells us, not just being hearers of the word, but doers. 
And I pray that your word will, will just bear fruit in our life, that we might be more and more like Christ for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Antoine. really appreciate that. Well, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2, we're at, a, we're at a turning point in the book. This is really where I think that the, the message of the book takes a phenomenal shift. So we're only going to cover verses 2 through 5. This is God's response to Habakkuk's question, which I'll, I'll, I'll recap here in a minute. So, But let me read the text, and I'll, I'll pray for us. So if you're in Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2, verses 2 through 5. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come, it will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by faith. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like shale. He is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Let's pray. Father God, I'm, as I look over these words and prepare a message, I'm reminded what Paul says of pastors, who is fit for such an office. I feel very small right now in light of just the the weight of what's in front of us. And, and I know, Father, I know that many here are wrestling through difficult personal struggles in life, whether that's with job, whether that's with where they are in a stage of life, whether that's with children, whether that's just with difficult, peculiar people in their lives or hard people in their lives, or there's an inner struggle with sin, frustrating world that we live in, Father. And so I pray that, I pray that, Father, you'd use your word this morning to help strengthen faith and that we wouldn't just see faith as an option or an amorphous thing or, or, or an accessory to us. But we would see what you revealed to Habakkuk so many centuries ago, that only the righteous will live Truly live by faith. Father, pray that you'd give me clarity in, in what to say. I've got words written down. I pray that you'd bring clarity to your message. And I'm thankful for what Antoine said this morning that wasn't planned. Okay, and I didn't talk about that, but Lord, I see how well it just it dovetails into this message this morning. We can do a lot of good moral things. And as Christians, we should be the first to step up to the plate to do them. 
But if a man is not justified by faith alone, then no amount of moral, moral good works will save his soul. So, Father, keep us faithful to the message. Keep us faithful to the mission. And use, use your word this morning to stir our hearts and bring clarity to the gospel. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So this past week, uh, my wife and I and the kids, we were at the beach. Um, it was on a short vacation. And I, I don't know about you, I, lo I love to watch children at the beach. You know, just the wonder in their eyes at the things they discover and playing in the ocean. And I mean, it, it's just, it's a, it's a thing to behold to step back and just watch children, whether they're your own or, you know, or someone else's kids, just watching them play at the beach in, in all the capacities that they do. And one of the things I noticed while we were at the beach, my, um, my nephew, Carson, who just turned four this past week, he, uh, he loves, he loves the Avengers and, you know, the Marvel Comics action figures. His favorite is Iron Man. And he had several Iron Man characters out there on the beach. And uh, uh, while the other kids were kind of playing near the water, I turned around and looked, and Carson's back here. He dug a hole in the, in the sand. And I'm like, what's he doing? I walked over to him, and he had buried each of his Iron Man figures. And he was, he was slowly uncovering and pulling them out, dipping them in water, cleaning them off. And then he'd hold them up and look at them and smile. And then he'd bury them again. And, you know, as I was studying for this message, I'm reminded yeah, the, the doctrine of salvation by grace alone through faith alone, it must be, must be unearthed in every generation, lifted up to the light and cherished. It must be. And it's, I think it's because it's in our nature, it's in our sin nature to believe that we are or we can be good enough to be accepted by whatever God we believe in, whether that's an external God or whether that's, you know, ourselves. That's a God made in our own image or whether that's our, ourselves. That we're good enough to be accepted by that God and that we possess all things necessary for life and to thrive. And so was, I, that's what I really want to highlight this morning. I think that's what's at the center of this of this key pillar text in the Old Testament, this, this doctrine of salvation by grace alone through faith alone, and that this doctrine, this is not something that was created for the Reformers, but rather what happened at the Reformation was just one such unearthing of an event in history. It's a very important one, but it was just one such unearthing of that doctrine of uh, salvation by grace alone through faith alone, okay? So, that, that's kind of my intro, big picture. That's, that's where we're going. Um, because, so God gives this vision to, to Habakkuk, and he prefaces the vision with emphasizing the grandeur, the, the weight of what he's about to say and the urgency of it. And then he, he gives the vision and this just kind of a brief kind of tagline, you know, uh, uh, to it. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's fundamental in answering Habakkuk's question. You see, Habakkuk, if you remember, recall last week, Alan dealt with Habakkuk's question. Remember here, God is going to bring the Chaldeans for judgment on Judah, who's basically jetsoned his law, jetsoned his promises, and they played the harlot with other gods, the gods of these other nations. And God, is, his patience has run out, and he's bringing judgment. And so that, that's, that's the first part of chapter 1. And then last week, Alan talked about Habakkuk's questions, God, okay, we're your covenant people. You've made these promises to us. Yes, we've wronged you, 
But you're talking about an annihilation here. How is it that you can be faithful to your covenant promises and annihilate the very people to whom you've made those promises? Further, how is it that you can take what in Habakkuk's mind is a, a, a more wicked nation, the nation of, uh, of the Chaldeans, which become the Babylonians who conquer Judah. How is it you can take this more wicked nation than us and punish us as a less wicked nation? Okay, that, that's, how, that's how Habakkuk, uh, that, that's, how, that's, how he's gonna, that's how he's weighing things. How is it you can do this? And he's trusting in God. Okay, he's asking this in trust. And Alan dealt with this last week. And he's being patient. Okay, well, God's about to answer him. And he answers it in one sentence and just totally blows the doors off. I mean, this is, this is how God works, right? I mean, it's questions, 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 questions. And God just responds very simply and just shuts the door, answers it. Well, that's what God does here in this vision that he gives. Okay, so that's the trajectory that we're going. We're going to see the link between Habakkuk's question and God's answer regarding the necessity of faith for righteousness and for life. Okay, and, and I hope that as we get towards the end, I hope that I can draw a clear distinction or, or a cl clear connection between what was happening in Habakkuk's day, this frustration of the world that was going on, and what's happening today in our culture and Western Christianity. Okay, I, I really want to help draw that connection here. Okay, if you remember the, 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 the yeah, thank you, the, the picture that we've got that kind of captures our study through, you know, through the book. Here's this rock, here's this place where something should not grow. And yet a tree grows out of it and thrives. And this is what God does in his church. We look at it as a place where this, this should not happen. It's frustrating, it should not happen. And yet God says, this is, I'm going to grow my church. I'm going to grow my people, a people for myself out of this. And as we reach this point in Habakkuk, we begin to just see how God does that and the importance that faith plays in it. Not just the importance, but the necessity and the essential nature of it. Okay, so that's the trajectory. That's where we're going this morning. Okay, so really just two simple parts to this message. The vision that God gives, he's prefacing it, that this is a vision that is for this age and the age to come. Okay, the, the, the weight of it and the, and the urgency of it. And then God explains that vision. He gives that vision. And we're going to just kind of, we're going to walk through that vision and look at it. Okay? So let's look at verse 2 and 3. Okay? This is the vision that God, that this is what he tells Habakkuk about the vision. Because before he answers Habakkuk's question, he emphasizes the magnitude of the vision by telling Habakkuk two things. He says, here's Habakkuk, here's what you must do with this vision, and here's why. Okay? So let's take these in turn. First, what he must to must do verse 2 then the lord answered me and said record the vision and inscribe it on tablets Res inscribe it on tablets not on a scroll which is what he told isaiah not on a book which is what he told jeremiah write it on tablets write on tablets the original text says inscribe the vision and make it plain on tablets that's the same language that was used in Deuteronomy 27 8 when Israel is standing on uh, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim and God is reviewing his covenant with his people um, and he's talking about the blessings that will come to the people if they obey and the punishments the punitive aspect if they disobey okay and so he uses the same language to describe the 
book of the covenant. We would call those the Ten Commandments. Okay, what was written on the tablets originally given to Moses. Okay, so what, what you see here is this vision that God is about to give to Habakkuk. It carries the same weight and the same force as that covenant. Now keep in mind, that's the very covenant that Judah has basically jetsoned and put aside. Okay, so so. God is telling Habakkuk that, that this vision I'm about to give you, it carries phenomenal weight. But not only that, it's going to be a short vision. Right? It's going to be on tablets. It's not on a scroll. It's not a book. It's on stone tablets. It's going to be a short vision. Brief but weighty. So he tells him write it on tablets, but he also says that the one who reads it may run. That the one who proclaims it may run. You see, this isn't a come and see vision. This is a go and tell vision. It's parallel to the, the, the herald of the message, uh, uh, the, the heralder who would go in a time of war from the battlefield back to, uh, to the kingdom and carry the message about what was happening at the battle. You know, at any point in the, in the time, you know, the, the general, whoever was commanding the army would send a herald back to um, uh, back to the kingdom to give a message. Okay, Here, here's how this is going. And it was urgent. And that, that heralder had to go fast. And that was a very important message. Okay, so there's an urgency there. There's an urgency and a necessity that that message must be, must be taken out throughout Judah. Okay, so this is what, what, uh, what Habakkuk must do with this message. It shows the urgency and the weight of, of what God is about to say. This isn't something just to gloss over and read and go, okay, you know, that's just there. You know, it's meant to cause us to really just slow down and think about, okay, what's the significance of this? Why is this so weighty? So that's what he tells him he must do, but then he tells him why. Verse 3, he said, For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come. It will not delay. So let me summarize this. God's saying, what I'm about to tell you, it will come to pass. And the assurance that God gives is his own character. When it says it will not fail, that can also be translated, it cannot lie. That's the same phrase, it's the same words that are used to describe God's own nature. That God cannot lie. So what God is saying is, it will come to pass, and my guarantee is my own character, my own nature. And this, isn't, this isn't, shouldn't surprise us, because when God says something in Scripture, it happens. It may not be tomorrow, it may not be next year, but it will come to pass. It won't fail. So he's saying, it will come to pass, and my, my own character is essentially collateral for the fact that that's going to happen. But it's delayed so that the full scope of God's plan can be achieved. And that full scope includes justice and judgment on sin, but also to redeem a people for himself. Okay? Now let's take a footnote real quick and let's learn a brief lesson about prophecy. Okay? Often prophetic words, they have a local limited fulfillment. Okay, that's kind of characterized uh, or, or, or delineated by, by events in God's redemptive narrative. Okay, they have a local fulfillment, but also a future fuller 
fulfillment. Okay, so there's a, this age in which a lot of the times the prophecy is fulfilled. It's local, and then there is a, an age to come in which it has a greater, fuller fulfillment. Okay, you can see this with a lot of the prophecies about Christ. A lot of those prophecies had a local fulfillment in which part of it came true, but there's a lingering aspect of like, this wasn't full. Okay, this is why when you get into the New Testament that, 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 that a lot of those prophecies, people saw those and realized that wasn't a complete full fulfillment of it, and they were looking for the coming Messiah who would come. Okay? All right, so hold on to that, that aspect of a local limited fulfillment and then a later future fuller fulfillment, okay? Because we're going to come back to that at the end. That's going to be really important when we get to our application, okay? Come out of the full no footnote, we're back in, in Habakkuk, okay? So to summarize where we are so far, verse 2 and 3, God emphasizes the magnitude and the urgency of this vision to Habakkuk and that he must wait for its fulfillment, now, there's a lesson for us there, too, right? It, it, in our day, we're so, we're so just wired and prepped to get what we want right now. You know, I watched a movie recently, and it, it was cast back in the 80s. You know, and I grew up in the 80s, and the mall was kind of the big thing. You know, if you wanted something, you go to the mall, and you get it. You know, now the mall's not the big thing. It's Amazon, right? And you just order it on Amazon. shows up next day. You got Prime. You know, get it right then and there. But God doesn't work that way, right? We've got to be weaned from demanding or expecting a sudden solution from God. And we've got to be patient. I was at the Groves house uh, this past week. Our MC met for a meal, and after we ate, we, we swam in the pool. And standing back there by the diving board, and Ethan's got this ball. And he's, he's trying to bounce it off of the, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he was trying to bounce it off the diving board to Travis. You know, and I'm wanting the ball because I want Travis to throw it to me and I can jump off the diving board. You know, so I'm sitting there, I'm watching, and Ethan's got it posed over his head, and he's just, you know, he's just hanging on to it, and it's just suspense. I mean, you cut it with a knife, and I'm like, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. And as he's just waiting, I'm sitting there going, okay, is, he, is it going to bounce on the diving board? Is it going to miss? If it misses, what are my contingency plans? This is the sick way my mind works, you know, I'm... Uh, you know, it's, it's messed up. But I'm like, I'm coming up with contingency plans. What do I do if he misses? And I think oftentimes we treat God's promises that way. You know, God, are you really going to do this? Really going to come through? What if you miss? What if it doesn't play out the way that I want? You know? But the lesson here for us is that, you know, God's ball will land at just the right time and just the right place. So he says, be patient. Wait for him to bring his promises to pass. All right, so that sets us up for the vision that God's about to give. Okay? It's weighty. It carries that same weight and force as the Ten Commandments did. All right? So it's worth our pausing and really thinking about. All right? And it's going to have an impact locally right there in Habakkuk's time, but it's also going to have a further impact in redemptive history later on. Okay, so now let's look at this vision. Let's look at this vision. Verse 4, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by faith. All right, let's walk through this because we'll first note God places the people in Judah and Babylon in two categories, the proud and the righteous. And, and, and by the way, 
I think it is Judah and Babylon. Because if you only look at this as, well, he's talking about Babylon, then you don't really answer Habakkuk's question. And Habakkuk feels that his question's answered because in chapter 3, it's a prayer of worship. It's a prayer of humility. I mean, you get the sense that Habakkuk, his eyes have been opened more to the character of God and his promises. Okay? So I, I think that this includes Judah and Babylon. Okay? He, that God puts both entities, basically, in one of these two categories. Okay? And not like Judah's in one and, and, and uh, Babylon's in the other. But he filters the individuals who are in those uh, in those uh, cultures or you know in those nations through these categories. Okay, the first is the proud, and the other is the righteous. So let's look at each one of these. The proud, the term God uses means puffed up. It means bloated, tumorous. Okay. Now this is the word he's used to describe wickedness. All right. That it's, they're puffed up, they're bloated. To, to give you kind of just a, an overall summary, what he's saying is that the proud person looks to himself or, his, or herself as, as their own source of goodness. Okay, you either believe it to be true or you're trying to make it true. And what God says is such a person is not upright within himself because he looks within himself for righteousness. And therefore, he's deserving of God's judgment. That's implied in the text. It's not stated. He doesn't say his, his, he doesn't say his soul is not right within him and so I'm going to judge him. But that's, that's implied in the whole text because of the context. You look on both sides of that, judgments, judgment bookends this, this vision. Okay? That such a person, the proud person, is not right, upright within himself because he looks within himself for righteousness and therefore is deserving of God's judgment. Okay, we'll unpack this a little bit more, but I think you need to see the context of the righteous before we actually do. Okay, so let's go to the righteous. He says, but the righteous. Now note carefully the order and the choice of words. Because righteousness here doesn't mean what we often think. I think in our culture, when we think of righteousness, we think of uh, moral purity and innocence. But the word here is actually literally justified. The justified. And in the Old Testament, put your Old Testament lenses on for a minute. The, in the Old Testament, the only way one could be made righteous, could be justified, was through sacrificial atonement. So the Jews, the, the Israelite knew he did not come to before God righteous, did not come before God justified. The only way for that to take place was through an atoning sacrifice. The whole point of the Levitical sacrificial system. Okay, so God says the justified, the one who's justified in my sight. Or the, the, he says the justified one. Okay, so Get this because this is really the hinge on which this whole thing turns. The proud one, his soul is not right within him. That's a moral statement. But the righteous one, the justified one, that's a legal statement. That's a legal statement. O. Palmer Robertson uh, summarizes this well. He says, the soul of the proud is not morally upright within him. But the one who is legally righteous, the one who is legally justified shall live. 
okay? Get, get, get the weight of this, okay? If you're in a courtroom, in a sense, the moral category is that the proud one is condemned. But the one whom God, who is the judge, justifies lives. Okay, I think we, we, think, of, we, we think of this in the moral category. Like we, we see people, I think, oftentimes who, may, you know, we don't, we don't know that they're, we don't think they're Christian, and yet they do a good moral deed, and it bothers us. You know, we, the, we see a, a disconnect there. Well, this person's not a Christian, but they're doing good moral deeds, it's confusing to us, and sometimes I think for some people it's offensive. They get angry about it. And it's really a testimony to our own false understanding of grace that we're actually looking within ourselves and we're comparing and going, well, if this person's not a Christian. How can they do good things and be justified before God? Because I don't do those good things. But what God is saying here is that the sor- it deals more with the source of the person's, the source rather than the outward expression of it. You see, you can have a person who's moral and humanly humble. And that person is still proud if he, trusts, if he, if he searches righteousness for anywhere but God and his promises. We think of pride and we think of the outward expression of pride, right? Yeah, I said that the word was used as like a tumor. You can have a tumor that's, say, on the outside of your face, and it's very visible, it's obvious. Well, you've got, you've got an outward expression of that that is the person who's very arrogant, very prideful. I mean, I don't have to expound on that very much. You probably already have somebody in your mind. You know, maybe it's yourself. I don't know. Hopefully not. You know, but you've got that in your mind, outward expression of, of pride, but there's pride that often masquerades as humility. <laughs> you know what God doesn't say here to Habakkuk is, he says, he doesn't say the humble shall live by faith. He doesn't say the kind person shall live by faith. The generous, he doesn't, because those are all moral categories. Those are all moral categories in which the person can, would look within themselves in order to find righteousness. No, he said the justified shall live by faith. Let me give you an example because this is how pride can masquerade as humility. Say you have a friend or you have someone who's not a Christian at all. They don't believe in God. And yet they are very faithful to tell the truth. They will not lie. And you ask them, why? Why, why do you not lie? And they say, well, because lying hurts people. They don't want to lie. Well, that's a, good, that's a good moral thing we would say, but where, where, what's the source of that? See, the source of that moral code is yourself. Your own experience or your collection of moral teachings that you've decided provide this balance and a scale. Now you contrast that with a person who lives by faith in the promises of God and His character. That that person would tell the truth because, because they trust God. No, he's commanded you to reflect it. You're made in his image. And this is a part of his image, being an image bearer, that he's commanded you to reflect. So you tell the truth, putting your faith in God to sort the details out and justify your case. You see that? That in God's economy, pride, it's not based on the outward expression. It's based on the inner source. Is that helpful?
It's based on the inner source. So you, I hope you get the weight of this. I mean, the, what God is saying basically to Habakkuk is, look, you look at the, you look at the, you look at the, at Judah. You look at Israel, oh, Judah, two camps, okay. Look at, look at Judah, my covenant people, and you look at the Chaldeans, and you see a more wicked people and a less wicked people. I look at them and say both are prideful because both are looking for righteousness within themselves. They are not looking at, you know, toward uh, looking to me for righteousness, for justification. There's a remnant there, and we'll get to that. But that's what he's saying. And so, 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 so he's, he's, he's basically kind of undoing the foundation on which, you know, uh, on which Habakkuk could look at that and justify, you know, his question is, well, why would you use one, you know, a more wicked nation to, to judge a less wicked nation? And Paul goes, and God goes, both are guilty because both are the proud. So then how do we live? He says, but the righteous shall live by faith. That the one who continually trusts God will procure and sustain for himself life as God intends. And this is a theme that runs throughout the Old Testament. Right? Trust in my ways and I will bless you. Not on your terms, but on mine. You might not have all you want, which is pride. But you'll have all that, you, that is necessary for you to thrive as my image bearers and reflect my glory to all of creation. Pull this forward to the New Testament. There's the term that we would call that that I use with the children, sanctification. God will provide all things necessary for life. But what he doesn't answer is how do you, how do you get there? How do you get, how, how does a person become justified? God starts off with, but the justified will live by faith. But he doesn't explain necessarily, at least on the surface, how do you get justified? Right? The proud one is not morally upright, therefore deserving of God's judgment. But he doesn't say necessarily how one is justified. The answer to that is that in the background of this vision, that the righteous will live by faith, is the promise that's given to Abraham in Genesis 15, 6. Where it says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was credited to him as righteousness. They're, very, they're parallel passages, right? That the righteous will live by faith. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so you see in this passage that the same justifying faith in God, that the, that the justifying faith in God is the same faith that secures the continuation of life. You see that. They're one and the same. And that these are a gift from God. And this is how it answers Habakkuk's question. Nobody's got the moral high ground here. It's all about being justified and sanctified by grace through faith. So I hope you kind of see that this, this salvation by faith alone, by grace alone through faith alone, wasn't invented by the Reformers or even by Paul. Rather, the New Testament writers saw that this precious doctrine, they saw it in the Old Testament, and they saw how it was woven into the New Covenant through Christ. Okay, let me give you an example. Paul to the Romans. Paul writes to the Romans, and in Romans 1.17, he quotes Habakkuk 2.4. And he makes this the launching pad for his entire letter to the Romans. 
For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. What's Paul saying? He's saying that the justice and mercy of God is revealed from the faith of justification by grace to the continuation of that same faith which sanctifies and gives true life. Okay? Quick 30-second run through through Romans. Romans 1 through 3. All are sinful. All are sinful. From, from the religious individual who looks within himself for righteousness to the pagan who is far removed from God. All are sinful. The wages of sin is death. He ends, uh, or in part, chapter 3, he, he draws together passages from the Psalms to basically say, look, human, hu- human beings as uh, collectively, from the, their head to their toe, are sinful, deserving of God's judgment. Chapter 4 and 5, this is why justification by faith is the only way that we can be saved. Chapter 6 through 8, that's the continuation of that same faith, sanctification process, right? The same faith that justifies you is the same faith that sanctifies you, that sets you apart and makes you more like Christ throughout your life as you continue to trust in God's promises and who He is. And follow those. Chapter 9 and 11. Okay, well, what are the implications of that based on ethnic, ethnic Israel? Okay. Chapters 12 through 15. Implications for that doctrine on how we ought to live as Christians. What does it mean for how we're to conduct ourselves amongst each other and amongst the outside world? And then chapter 16, Paul gives final closing encouragement and just expresses love for fellow believers who are faithful and walking in step with the faith they profess. Okay? So further, even in, in, uh, in, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul parallels the, that same passage with, from Habakkuk 2, showing that justification is by faith. It says, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For, and he quotes Habakkuk 2, 4, the righteous shall live by faith. So you see that in Paul's mind, he's looking, he's looking at this Old Testament doctrine of salvation by faith alone. It's the only way that a person is justified and made, made right by God. It's faith that justifies us before God and faith that provides life for us. And they're one and the same and they're a gift from God. By grace you have been saved through faith and this is a gift of God. And they're a gift because they rely on God applying a righteousness to us that's outside ourselves. And trusting in that righteousness. Namely the one that's given to us, given to us through Christ's shed blood on the cross. That he died for our sins taking our penalty and our punishment on himself. And that we, have, we are justified before God by having faith in what he's done for us. We're clothed in his righteousness. And that makes that means that faith is not a moral attribute in which we can be praised for. Otherwise, we'd be the proud, right? This is the very argument Paul makes in Romans 5 when he talks about that Abraham was justified by faith. That his faith was in accordance with grace rather than works because if it was considered a work, he'd be able to boast in it. But rather, it's God who's the object of his faith who gets the glory and who gets the praise. 
So, and I'll, I'll, I'll summarize this, the, uh, kind of this vision, and then we'll get to some application. So what God is telling Habakkuk, the proud are not morally upright because they look, to, they look to their own self and personal resources to acquire and sustain life. And God's saying, this is, I mean, this is, this is everybody. But the justified, by faith, will receive and be assured continuation of life by steadfast trust in God. He doesn't give any other option. So what does this mean for us? One, I think there's a warning about the end of a proud heart. And this is where verse 5 comes in. Because God says pride is like alcohol for the soul. It's never satisfied. It's always wanting more. And the more it gets, the worse it becomes. He says it's like death. It's never satisfied. It's all-consuming. If you really think about it, that's a terrifying thought. But also that we ought to be very careful and beware of the message that's in our age. Because what is the message of our age? It's procure life by being morally upright. Be morally upright based off what we as a culture determine that, right? Be engaged in, in this social justice e effort, right? Link arms with the new sexual revolution. Do what's right for the, for the, for the, uh, for the planet. Now, these, these issues... Are they're important and they're worth us as Christians thinking about what does it mean to be faithful to God in light of these things. But the overarching message of the culture is, look, if you do these things, we'll affirm your goodness. It's an advocating of a complete restructuring of society based off trust in collective humanity rather than in God's commands and His promises. Procure life by being morally upright. You see companies doing this, right? Giving head nods and affirmations. But not only that, you ensure the continuation of life by feeding your rights, right? You won't be happy, you won't be comfortable unless you have possessions, power, and influence. And you have the right to these things, so go and get them. Right? This, this is looking within ourselves for righteousness, for life, and the continuation of it. And what is God's warning? That when people do this, it's like an acid that just consumes them. It's never satisfied. So beware of the message of our age and how it stands adamantly against the message of the gospel. And beware of leisure traps, right? We're, we're in the summer. I mean, this is when people take vacations, right? When we, when we enjoy certain leisure activities. And leisure is good. I mean, God said there's going to be one day of rest. Right? I rested, you rest. But we ought to be careful about looking at those leisure activities and saying, yes, this is what life should be like, more of this. That's a dangerous trap to fall into.
how else can we apply this? I think we can gain a, a, an eschatological perspective, right? Recall I, I, when I talked about the prophecy, how we're going to bring this back in. Prophecy has a local limited fulfillment, and then it has a future grander fulfillment, right? The local fulfillment here is Judah, Babylon, they're going to be judged for their pride. But that God would filter a remnant, a faithful remnant, which has always characterized His people, through the proclamation of the vision. So God, so God tells Habakkuk, Habakkuk, here's the weight of this vision, now go tell. Habakkuk goes, tells. People heard, they either continued to trust, or they repented and trusted in God's promises, and they actively waited for Him to do what He promised. Lord, I'm going to be faithful to Your promises and what You've called me to do right here and right now, knowing that You're going to bring this to fulfillment. I'm going to be faithful even though it costs me. And today, the gospel message goes forth in the same manner. It goes forth as a promise and a warning. It's a warning because, because judgment awaits those who look within themselves for life. Locally, perhaps, by God's judgment of a proud nation future in the eternal judgment. But the promise is that genuine life is only found through faith in Christ. So stop striving, stop seeking, stop seeking to look within yourself for righteousness and pulling back that, that suit of fig leaves and going, am I okay? Am I right? Am I, am I good? Or looking out and going, okay, if I do these things that other people are saying are morally right, then I'm good with everybody else which means that I'm, I'm on the right side of history. I'm on the right side of the moral camp. The gospel says, see, stop striving. Christ is, Christ is righteousness for you. Have faith in Him. Be made new. Be made a new creation. And walk in light of His grace. And then the last two things. If you're a Christian, are you immersing yourself in the promises of God and His character? I think I'm, I mentioned this to the children this morning. You can't follow a God you don't know. You can't follow promises you don't know. You can't be faithful to a God you vaguely know, and you can't remember His promises. So you're immersing yourself in the promises and character of God. You know, our, our template, our new template for our missional community questions that ask about God's character. What does it say about God and what does it say about us? Now, those exist to help us better understand who He is and what He's promised so that we may trust Him with steadfastness. So you, as you're in your Bible reading times, are you searching the Scriptures, looking for His promises, looking where His character comes to the surface both now and when Jesus comes back. Yes, your pastor told you it's okay to read Revelation. Okay? I think it's important that we think about those things. A Lismith test for this, I think, is how much does God, how much, how much is your life ordered around dependence on God? Is it ordered around dependence on God or is it on you? This is a simple prayer at mealtime. Lord, thank you for this food. Bless us, make us, you know, well, whatever. 
and then we go about our day. Or is there a regular dependence on God throughout the day, seeing things coming down the pipe and, and, and praying? Asking, well, what do, what do I do with this, Lord? Waking up and saying, Lord, I'm going to be hit with a lot of things that are going to cause me, that, that are going to be a tide that will, that will want to push me in a direction that's not honoring to you in an unfaithful, prideful direction, whether that's, a, whether that's an overt pride or whether that's more of a hidden, tumorous pride that masks itself as humility, that ultimately looks at myself for my source of righteousness. So, Lord, keep me from that. Help me to be faithful and to honor you. I may come across difficult people today. I may come across difficult situations today. Keep me faithful. Help me see more of who you are and more of your promises and cling to those and keep me faithful, even if it costs me today. I could be tempted to lie about something today. Lord, help me to be faithful, even though I know it might cost me. It may be hard. Keep me faithful. And then the last thing, that reflection on God's promises leads us to worship. You say, where do you see that? There's no worship here. You know, but there is in chapter 3. Because Habakkuk's the one who's been given the vision. He's been given the vision. And then this is, it's one sentence. The proud, proudest soul's not upright within him, but the justified will live by faith. And I'm the one who justifies by the grace of faith. That's the only way one will live. And it humbles Habakkuk. And in chapter 3, the entire chapter is a prayer. This is a humble prayer full of worship. And so the reflection on God's promises should lead us to worship and should lead us to prayer. So as we close, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something a little different, okay? We've got a few minutes. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And um, I wanna, I'll, they're going to sing... And I want y'all to sing. I want to sing just the last few verses of Christ is mine forevermore. Um, just particularly to leave us in a worship sense, but also because I really feel like, I feel like, I feel like this song is just wonderful and capturing some of those promises. So think about the words that are in it um, and what it means to walk in a frustrating world in a firm and secure faith in God and who He is. So I'm going to ask them to do that. Let's sing a few verses, and then I'll give a benediction, and we'll be done. Oh.
bless you, may keep you, may cause his face to shine upon you, may lift up his countenance towards you, may give you peace. You're dismissed.